0: Today on Cutting Oranges, I'll be in conversation with footballer, commentator, goal umpire and Premiership coach, Beck Goddard. Beck has lived and breathed footy from as early as she can remember. She made history in 2017 when she took the Crows to the first ever AFLW Premiership. We dive into her experiences in local and elite level footy, as well as who she thinks will lift the Premiership Cup this weekend. I can't wait for you to hear Beck's story. Beck Goddard, thank you so much for joining me on Cutting Oranges. How are you?
1: I'm well. I'm honoured to be here, Darcy. It's one of my favourite podcast out of AFL House. Um, <laughs> I love what you do. I've been a big fan and um, so to, to get, the, get the call up to such a prestigious position, I'm very excited about. That honestly means a
0: lot <laughs> and I'm actually really looking forward to chatting because we haven't actually, I don't think we've ever really had a proper conversation to be honest. I feel like we've passed each other Stats many apart, a time. States yeah. apart, hey? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But here we are <laughs> behind the mic and we'll see how it goes. Um, so I, I usually like to start at the very beginning um, and sort of get mm. a sense of what you were like growing up and what your parents did and I guess what you were into.
1: Well, I think I was conceived at the end of a football season in Canberra in 1977. So that would mean I would be born right in the middle of a Canberra winter, middle of a football season. Mm-hmm. So, responsibly, my dad, you know, he, he knew when his football commitments were. So it made sense that I was born into football. Yeah. Um. And I just um, I grew up at Jamison Oval, which is which at the time was the home of the Belconnen Football Club in Canberra. And Dad wore number 22 and. I just have really fond memories and I feel like I can still even smell the urinals in the change rooms (laughs) at Jamison Oval, like that burning sense (laughs) as a child um, of just being in there, being around dad and all of his mates. And when I was old enough and could count, um, got the big job of running the scoreboard at the ground um, and payment was a a jelly snake or a sausage, generally both. Um, And... Always getting the score wrong, having the umpires walk across the ground and say, <laughs> you know, shouting the score at you, um, and then doing their wave to tell you you, <laughs> had, it, you they had it right. And that was that was me growing up in Canberra. I just loved it. I loved going to footy on the weekend, and uh, that sense of family and and being able to contribute.
0: Yeah, so you just loved being around the club. That was yeah, what, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I feel like I was just. You know, that was everyday life. Um, mm. You know, Dad would go to training. Um, I remember him coming home from training and even, like, the smell of his, him opening his football bag. It was just always, um, like, in my life, in a, a part of Australia, I guess, where AFL wasn't particularly, like, it wasn't huge. But mm. back in back in those days when Dad was playing before games were on TV, you know, thousands of people would go and watch the finals in Canberra mm. at Marnica Oval and... Um, I, I just, I really remember that. I remember the rivalries that Dad had with, um, you know, Conan and Ainsley back in the day and me really hating Ainsley, which is funny considering I went on to coach there years later. But um, it was just always in our lives and and also I had a very close bond with my grandma who um, was always at the footy as well. Yeah, so um, it was
0: always a very
1: family Family sort of affair. affair. My brother would come, um, all of our our, you know, Dad's, um, teammates, all had kids the same age as us and we all just hung out together and, and that was it. You know, my, my brother was playing um, footy as a, as a young boy and I got to play footy with all of his, um, his teams up until the usual story of about 13 where I was told I can't play with the boys anymore and there was no women's league in Canberra, so mm-hmm. that was that. Yeah, and what was it like when you first... I guess, got to pull on the boots yourself and get out there? Well, everyone thought I was a little boy because mm-hmm. I, I always had short hair. Um, and actually I had short hair because I, um, I love Princess Diana, you know. I, I, I had long hair until the, when I was about seven years old. And I said to Mum, I want to get my hair cut like Princess Diana. And she said to me, well, you've got to have your First Holy Communion first. I want you to have long hair for the, for the photos for the First Holy Communion coming from a Catholic family. And as soon as the photos are done, I'll let you get your hair cut. So sure enough, First Holy Communion done. Next week, can I have my Princess Diana haircut? <laughs> and sure enough, I've, I've got the Princess Diana haircut. And i always had short hair ever since. But, um, you know, depending on the hairdresser, if it was a bit of just cuts or something like that, it often looked like a bit like tennis ball now, I've got a nice salad now, but mm. back in the day, it always didn't fit, and yeah, a bit flat chested, and just fitted in with the little boys. Yeah, Oh, I did not know that uh, mm. that hair story. Uh, that's a beautiful. Tribute. Wait till I show you. I'll get, I'll bring up a photo where you can see that, like the the differences. I'll send it to you so you can make sure you get it up on your yeah, on your yeah. podcast. But yeah, it's a good one. I oh. always say I look I'm remarkable, remarkably Remar- like her. Same earrings <laughs> and everything. Beautiful. I I love that. <laughs>
0: ah, stunning. And um. Did you ever? Um, I guess you had to play with boys. Mm. So what was that? Was that like? Did you? You had the short hair. Um, yeah. You said people thought you were a boy playing I, when yeah, they Yeah, I out didn't there. really.
1: I didn't really feel any different playing. Like I just sort of felt like kids were all a bit gender neutral. Mm-hmm. I think I never thought, oh, I'm a girl and they're a boy. I just thought, well, we all kick and mark the same. I had a pretty decent kick um, yeah. because I've been kicking, you know, with dad and my brother from from little from really little age. So I fitted in in terms of the football, like, was able to play. Um, and it wasn't until I probably got closer into my teenage years that I started to, to think, oh, d- do I look a bit different? Like, mm. um, and would be a bit ashamed that people couldn't tell that I was a girl. I remember clearly having that um, that feeling as a, as a child and mm. um, well, getting into the teenage years and always walking into a hairdresser and going, now, I don't want to look like a like a boy I remember saying those words you know so it was something I think that um, definitely um, maybe had an impact um, at the time but certainly very confident now in, in who I am and, and and how I appear
0: yeah yeah for sure it's interesting that sort of journey because mm. Like, I even think growing up, if people weren't sure whether I was a boy or a girl, I've been asked and I used to think that means I'm awesome at footy. Like yeah. that is, It was like a badge of honour. If yeah. they couldn't tell, I was like...
1: Yeah, that must I'm, mean I fit in, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: it. And we, did you have um, other sports in your site or was it mm. always footy for you?
1: Uh, no, it was, well, it was always predominantly footy. Um, I was a pretty handy cricketer um, for, for a while there. And I also, I turned to basketball up until probably the age of about 16 and then um gave that away um because i got probably more involved in umpiring Mm -hmm. footy because there was no women's competition in canberra i actually went went and became a goal umpire Mm
2: -hmm. in the
1: first grade men's competition in canberra so that started taking up all of my time and i I started focusing on how i could still be involved in footy like as my sport and umpiring became my sport Mm.
0: Yeah, and were you a field umpire too?
1: Yeah. So years later, when I wanted to get a bit fitter, um, I um, and I'd finished playing football as in the women's competitions. I wasn't really, I wasn't really a very good football player. In fact, most umpires would never probably admit this, but they probably got into umpiring because they weren't great football players. Okay. (laughs) But they're better from your mouth. Yeah, from my my, from my (laughs) mouth, not yours. Um, But um, I really like. I suppose ability to make a really split second decision um, mm-hmm. i felt like that was one of my weapons um, and you know i for a period of my my sort of young 20s i'd i'd stacked on a bit of weight and i was looking for ways to try and cut that and so i sort, sort of set myself a goal well how far can i take my field umpiring um, and ended up um finally making the time trial the Neful time trial which at that time was um, 20 21 minutes for a 5k time trial I think I was at 21.03, yeah, and um and that was close enough to get myself selected onto that NEFL panel for that first year in Canberra when the Canberra teams were still in the NEFL. Yeah, so so cracked it and and really was um you know probably flying and being able to do some really quick running, um which isn't the case now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an impressive time. Yeah, and I look back and I think how did I do that? Mm. But um it's funny what you what you do and what you want to do when you set yourself a goal and, and the standards you want to reach and what you put into your mouth and what you drink and how you sleep and all of those things that I'd never thought about um, playing other sports. I'd never thought about it because I'd never wanted to achieve, I suppose, at the highest level, but I suddenly had a pathway to achieve at the highest level and it was in umpiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and at that time, was
0: was women's footy around? Like sort of paint the... Yeah, well, forest. women's
1: footy was around. It came into Canberra 1999, and I started playing as soon as there was a, a competition. Mm-hmm. How uh, old were you when...? Uh, so, 90, I guess, 98, 99, I would have been 20, yeah. Mm. And um, although a lady never tells her age. <laughs> <laughs> don't try and work out how I don't <laughs> Quick maths. Yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, it was like – it was a great little competition um, and I got stuck into that, played for the club that, you know, I grew up following, Connor and wore Dad's jumper number and everything like that, and it was great. Um, and I had, a, um, I had a pretty bad leg break. A tibia, I broke my tibia playing football. Everyone at home laughs and that I keep it a bit of a secret how it was a fresh air swing. I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was uh, coming out of the uh, goal square – and the ball went over the back of the head and I turned to chase on it and I uh, had someone right on my tail. So I just I took a big swing, turned out to be fresh air, hyperextended the left leg and cracked the tibia straight down the front and ended up with a couple of screws in oh. the front. And I never really um, recovered from that because I had to learn how to run again after mm. I'd had the surgery and that was when I was like, okay, I might just really lock on to umpiring here and made the decision. So women's football, football kept going in Canberra, but I was like, well, I'm going to lock on to umpiring and mm-hmm. and see where that takes me. Yeah, and, and what was that like, relearning how to, how to run? Le- well, I hired a running coach. Yeah, And it's funny how many people, like, who hires a running coach?
2: Mm.
1: Um, but you should. It's like swimming coaches, yeah. like a football coach. If you want to be a great runner, then hire a running coach. And so I ended up um, learning how to, how to strike properly and... Shorten my steps and make me look faster as a as a an umpire, even if I wasn't actually faster, but I mm-hmm. had an appearance of a a change in speed, mm-hmm. which is what I needed to crack into the NEFL level in umpiring. Right, it's like the art of deception. Yeah, correct. <laughs> you now I remember my um, field umpire coach saying to me at the time, about a month out before I first got selected for NEFL he said to me, Beck, we know you're ready to umpire, but." we have to make sure you're more than ready because we know that there's going to be a lot of attention on you when you do finally get selected.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I, and, and I feel like that's still the case with, with all women in football. We almost have to be over-prepared mm-hmm. um, because we know more people are going to watch and criticise. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, we have to be ticking all the boxes and 100%. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I guess how did you get into coaching from that sort of...
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, the old knees eventually broke down, umpiring. Um, So I was like, well, what am I going to go to next? How am I going to sort of stay connected? And um, women's footy was going great in Canberra. There were actually too many players. So I I looked at a new part of Canberra, which was called Gungahlin, and they had a Mm -hmm. a third and fourth grade men's team in the local Canberra competition, normally called the Thirsty Thirds. Mm Um, and uh, came up with a bit of a plan to start a women's team at that club to um, start spreading out some of the talent and um, getting more women involved in playing football. And I, I went for my first ever job interview um, with the president at the time and we met at a little Irish pub in Canberra called um, PJ O'Reilly's after work one day and after about 11 schooners. What are they called here in Melbourne? Is there schooners. Th- pots. They oh. call them pots here. I'm a bit lost after COVID. And haven't <laughs> been out in twelve months. Um, yeah, after about eleven schooners, ah, yeah, you know, I got the job, <laughs> and that was sort of the, the interview. You know, yeah. the job interview. So, and when I was interviewing for the Adelaide Crows job, you know, years and years later, like my only interview experience had been that. That interview at the pub, (laughs) that little old pub in in Canberra. Bit of liquid courage. Yeah, and I thought, well, I I can't really prepare for the Crows one like I did
2: mm.
1: (laughs) for the Gungahlan one. But once I got into that and, you know, we were – the team started and I was coaching and I was loving it and we were getting thrashed by maybe 120, 180 points on some days Mm -hmm. for a good couple of years before we ended up, um, you know, really hitting our straps and eventually sort of – Flag there in Canberra. Mm. Um, it's a great footy club now. The Gungarland Jets. They're they're doing terrific things for women in sport. Yeah, and and what drew you into coaching? Because it's
0: like when I think about coaching, it's stressful, a lot of scrutiny. Like uh, what what is it about coaching that you love?
1: Well, I didn't think about it like that then. Mm-hmm. I do certainly think that, about <laughs> that a bit more now. Yeah, things have uh, changed. Now that a I've bit. been in the yeah public, like coaching. Um, but back then, it was more just being able to be around your mates. And being able to um, have a conversation about like, how to get better at footy
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, and bringing us all together on the journey. So it was always about the we and, what, and finding that connection with what really mattered for the we mm-hmm. for me. And I still take that into my coaching today, like why am I doing this? And the answer is, is because I love to have that connection with what really matters whether that's on the field, off the field, whatever mm-hmm. that is, but being, bringing a group of people together on that journey with your values.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's a big part of coaching, like being able to, I guess, see, see people as a whole human rather than just yep. whether they can kick or, you yep. know, whether they're able to understand your plays. So I guess how do you bring that together with so many different people on one team? How do you sort of get everyone moving the one way?
1: Yeah, well, we. Yeah. Everybody's different and, um, you know, even I I think back to when we all came together in Adelaide um, and I think that was the genuine great part of the list and you know this from your time on a few different lists at clubs is that the diversity of your group is what brings you together. Mm. Valuing that diversity, valuing that uniqueness and understanding that everybody brings something to the group it doesn't matter if it's the kick, the laughs, um, you know, the different friends they might bring into the t- team functions, whatever that is. That's that's mm. that diversity, that piece that brings everyone together. Mm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. There's so many characters in football. <laughs> that's why <laughs> we love are. it. Um,
0: and how did I guess? How was the journey into um, Adelaide Crows? Because mm. so you've sort of you've played as a junior. Then you've umpired then you've yeah. started coaching was there gaps in between things or were we always connected mm. to footy and then aflw sort of popped up on the horizon
1: it was crazy actually i quit women's football mm-hmm. back in canberra i I'd, I'd coached at uh, the east lake football club which is probably the equivalent of darabin back in the day very successful women's football program in canberra and mm-hmm. won a few premierships there and mm-hmm. played in some there myself um and thought, well, I want to see if I can actually take my coaching to the next level. There was no AFLW. There was no talk of AFLW.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How can I take my coaching to the next level? And nat- that natural step was, well, I have to coach men's football. hmm because I thought I can't be taken seriously this is in my my ha- crazy head I'm thinking I can't be taken seriously if I'm a women's football coach no one would take me serious I have to coach at the men's level and so I I started sort of speaking to a few people I knew in AFL Canberra and I got um offered the job as an opposition scout for the for the Queanbeyan football club um, and had a season there with them and gave up women's football mm-hmm. um And then that led me to uh, coaching at the Ainsley Football Club, who by that stage were then in the NEFL, and got to spend time with Chris Rourke and helped him with his midfield um, and made a great impression there um, and had a really great season there, met some fantastic players who were well connected to Adelaide. And I transferred to work with um, the Australian Federal Police to Adelaide and um, interviewed with the Woodville West Torrens Eagles, from some connections that I had through the Ainsley Football Club. So I ended up coaching in the under-18s boys there in the SA um, And that was when Adelaide won a licence, the AFLW took off, and I was invited to interview by the Adelaide Crows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and on that, with coaching men, I know everyone loves this question, like, what's the difference what's the golden goose
1: yeah yeah (laughs) what's the secret to communication
0: yeah that's it but you talk about um Mm. different yeah communication styles
1: so what yeah like so for me it's that like the footy's the same as you know Mm. there's no difference in your strategy your tactics or anything like that but it's player management that i think um is a little bit different and if you've got an inside knowledge of that then that can really set you up for success uh, I think, in my experience, um, female athletes take things literally. So if I said to you, um, we want to surge the, f- the footy forward quickly, mm-hmm. that will literally translate to a panicked, rushed kick down the line, potentially out of bounds, right, because like, you're taking it so literally. Yeah. Um, um, oh, we want to play a one-and-a-half defence. Okay, instead of taking your one-on-one on one and then come off for one-and-a-half, you might literally just stand in the middle, between one and one. Mm-hmm. So you're taking it literally mm. rather than actually, you know what, well, I can do this without being so literal. Mm. And I also think female athletes like to be involved in the discussion of their performance a lot more. Um, you don't just give the feedback and then shut the door. Like let's have a discussion about, okay, how, how has this come to be? What can I do to be better? Mm. Um, and have those sort of more circular conversations rather than um a lot of the males I've coached they come in cop their feedback and then they just walk out and then that's it. You never hear of it and then mm. that's it again. Yeah. I think if you value the female athlete and what they bring, they always want to know, why is she been dropped? Mm. Yeah. Know, well, It's actually really none of your business, but, okay, I'm going to include the team in the conversation about why this has happened because yeah. I want everyone to keep working together and have that team goal and share those values. Mm. So the... The selection discussions, or why someone's in a particular group—that's always I feel like if you include players in that discussion without letting them run it, then that will lead you to success. Mm-hmm. And do you think, I guess that that whole conversation—do you think that comes from
0: women not being part of footy in a playing sense for as long as boys?
1: Like, do you think that's where? Yeah, that no, I just don't, literal. I, yeah, may, maybe, maybe it could be, but also maybe we can just be different Mm. Um, just because men's footy is done a certain way Mm. um, just because oh well we don't have co-captains at our football club doesn't mean that in the women's competition we can we can't have co-captains just because we don't know a grand final venue three weeks out from the grand final that doesn't mean that we're not valuing women as much it Mm. just means that we're doing the women's competition differently Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: we can it doesn't have to be the same so I don't know if we need to have the discussion about what. Why is coaching men's football different to coaching women's football? I think we can just have this respectful um, acknowledgement that it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: I like that too. Mm. I just had to ask because yeah, I know it's just a, it's a funny question. It is that yeah, it,
1: yeah. I just, what just I just think's just think is funny though often is is that. Um, because I'm a woman, I must only be able to co- coach women's football.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> makes sense. It does. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, that's that's always a funny one. Yeah, but if I didn't coach men's football, I'm not sure that I would have gotten the job mm-hmm. in AFLW, which is the irony.
0: Yeah, and is that does that frustrate you yep. that you had to do that?
1: Yep. Yep. But I'm sure but also i' I get frustrated at myself thinking how disrespectful I was to think that I had to leave women's football to coach men's football to come back to women's football. Mm. I get annoyed at myself that that's what I did to th- to think I had to get there, but I think if I didn't do it, I would never have achieved what I did.
0: yeah, and you're making choices of what based on what you've experienced, what yep. you've seen, what you've heard what the system is yeah, the so way the system exists. yeah, you have to play with the system you're given That's it. Um, and what was it like, I guess, stepping into the Crows as head coach yeah. for the first time? Take, take us through that.
1: Uh, well, like I said, you know, my, my most professional interview up until that point was at an Irish pub in Canberra. So walking into a high-performance space, I'd, I'd never coached... All I'd coached with before was a whiteboard and a whiteboard marker. Mm-hmm. And my first training session at Adelaide, I had a drone up above me. I was mic'd up. Yeah. There was a camera following me around... Um, I had other people pumping up footballs, not me, mm. um, and so um, it was a whole new world um, that I would never worked in before, um, and I didn't I didn't really know what the r- how the right thing to be was or what the wrong thing to be was, so I just tried to do it the best I I knew how, and that was have those really um, close relationships with players and encourage you know those values. Um, that make women's football successful. Mm.
0: And did you? I don't know. Was it a big adjustment? I guess like having all
1: those things done for you. You're like, yeah, I literally I, just need a coach. Well, I, every time I turned around, I had a, a great this uh, a great guy, Craig. I, I hope he listens to this show. Actually, shout out, Craig. Uh, Get out, Craig. And all the girls loved him too. Craig. Any time I turned around, Craig was there with a drink, like a cup of Gatorade <laughs> or a water. He's like, Coach. Here it is. And he was also on game day. He, he literally it was almost to the minute every time, about 52 minutes before the game would start, there would be a flat white appear. Hi, Beck, And he would just, like, appear with a coffee for me. And mm. it was, like, his way of, like, the two of us relaxing before a big game. Um, and it was just great. I was always very well hydrated yeah. at Adelaide. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was really cool. And it was what the players deserved. Yeah. Um and they they come a long way to be able to get that opportunity and walking into a football club, a proud football club like Adelaide, that's you know where so many men have gone before them, and finally having women in the in the in the doors and being welcomed was a fantastic experience.
0: Mm.
1: And how did you, I guess, prepare the girls for
0: just the season? Like something mm. nobody knew anything about. I remember getting ready for the first <laughs> season, and it was like I don't know what this is going to be like. Right. It felt like you were just walking into a this dark could room. Yeah, this, this could be anything. Yeah, this literally could be anything.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, that's how I approached it too. I remember ringing Erin Phillips over in the States. She was still over in the States mm-hmm. um, with Dallas and she and I having a, a really good chat. Um, and um, that was the first time I'd heard Erin really sort of say, like, we're here to win. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not here to participate. We're, we're here to win. Yeah, you know, like she, and this, this is before I'd even set eyes on her in Australia. We had this great chat over the phone about what what she wanted to do, and I remember thinking at the time and and saying to her on the phone because you know I'd had involvement in the women's national championships over yeah. many years, um, and the standard of football and the mighty Vix, you know, fifteen goals to to nothing against South Australia or the Northern Territory, which is where we were taking our talent from at mm-hmm. Adelaide. We were building a list from the Northern Territory and from South Australia. Perfect blend, really. South Australia really contested footy, like, all around the footy. Yeah. Northern Territory, outside runners, like, what a perfect blend. Yeah. But I'm thinking to myself, like, we've never come within 15 goals of the Vix. Like, mm-hmm. how the hell are we going to compete? Mm-hmm. So my view um, and, and what I said to our high-performance manager when I walked into Adelaide was, we need to be the fittest Yeah, we need to be the fittest in the competition and the rest of it we can't catch up, but at least if we're the fittest we'll be the first at the footy and we can just hack the thing forward Mm -hmm. and see what happens. So that became sort of our focus is that, right, we're going to absolutely beast pre-season, whatever that looks like. And again, I wasn't used to having players with GPS on, I would just normally look at them at, out at Gungalan training and go, Oh yeah, you look a bit tired, that'll do. Yeah. Like okay, whistle's done, you know, the drill's done. But no, all of a sudden I had an earpiece with the high performance coach saying to me, We're gonna have to go for another six minutes. Yeah, they need another four hundred minutes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're gonna have to do some top up at the end. Yeah. This high speed, whatever that is. I'm like, Yep, okay, no worries. Mm. You know, and learning as a coach to Put, it, put together a drill bank that would generate that high-speed running to do those kilometres. I'd never worked in that space and learnt really quickly mm-hmm. with my high-performance manager this is how you do it.
0: Yeah, there's an yeah. actual science behind yeah. it.
1: It's not just run, That's it. be
0: exhausted and then you'll be better for mm. the next time.
1: I do remember clearly thinking in 2016, just before we hit that Christmas break before the first season, we had a practice match and we flew all the Darwin players down into Adelaide and I watched it. Um, from up in the stands, and I thought to myself, I don't know, but I reckon we're going to be pretty good. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what everyone else was looking like. Mm -hmm. So that was my first time where I thought we could be pretty good. And then, of course, we had GWS Round 1, and I thought, okay, this might be the only win we get for the season. Mm -hmm. If we can can get it, that'd be great. Uh, We got them, we got the win, and it wasn't until we beat the Bulldogs in Round 2 in Melbourne... That I knew we were on. Mhm. And and then how did the I guess the rest of the season like he can take yeah, me through. The rest it sounds the like he it pretty well. <laughs> well. it's funny, isn't it? Like how you remember mm. you know, these really important moments. I reckon I'm not the only one at Adelaide that remembers that round two game against the Bulldogs and walking away from that game. We never said it to each other. Yeah. The players, but we we all knew mm-hmm. that. We were on and that's why um, we were so excited to get the win because it was almost like we were beating the mighty Victoria. Mm-hmm. No one had beaten at the national yeah. championships in years and, you know, Asta was playing, um, Ellie Blackburn was playing, all of these great Victorian players that the, we from Canberra and Northern Territory and South Australia had all come together and knew were great mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we'd beaten them and we're like, right, we are definitely on. Yeah. And then it just kept going. We had a couple of stumbles. We lost to Brisbane the first time we played them. Um and we came into the change rooms at the end of that game and all the staff left and it was um just me and the players and i i said to the players we're going to play them again and when we do that won't happen i know it won't happen and everybody around the room was on the same page just nodded we know we're going to get them again we, we, mm-hmm. we know that we're going to make it but we'll win the next time mm-hmm. and then that was it we just kept going we lost to melbourne and darwin mm-hmm. but still felt that we were we could finish on top and get to the first grand final yeah do you I guess
0: do you feel like with that coaching like do you when you say that's not going to happen again is that because you know that that your coaching will shift dramatically
1: for the next game or do you just want to plant that seed for the girls well, to know that it wasn't a that won't happen again I'm telling you it won't it was yeah. a discussion of we know it won't like yeah. that actually we didn't play that great today they beat us By, you know, the end of a bee's dick, as one of my dad's coaches once said Mm -hmm. in the Jamison Oval change rooms. (laughs) The end of a bee's dick. (laughs) I'm like, Dad, that's really small. Yeah, that's... You might have to edit that out. That's (laughs) tiny. That's really small. They always talk about, you know. Anyway, but the end of a bee's dick is really small. (laughs) So they beat us by three points. So I'm thinking, well, we didn't play that great. The players knew we didn't play that great. Um, You know, do you change anything? And that Mm. was the big question, like sort of after we beat Collingwood and we're heading into the first ever grand final, what do we change from the first time we played Brisbane to try and get the win? And I was driving home from training grand final week and I had this phone call from a number I'd never seen before. And I thought, oh, and normally I wouldn't answer it. Private numbers scare me. Um, and, but I thought, oh, it's grand final week. I better get it. It's one of the girls. They've broken down. You know, someone's broken a leg. I better answer yeah. it. And this voice on the other end said, g'day, Beck. it's Clarko. And I was like, Clarko? Clarko? Like, I'm a proud, passionate, paid-up Hawthorne member. And I was thinking, oh my God, Alistair Clarkson's calling me. And he says, "I just want to talk to you about your defence against Brisbane for the grand final. I watched your last game against them, and wanted to talk about how you're going to set up." Wow! And so I pulled the car over, and for the next twenty minutes, we chatted about defence um, and what he was going to do against Essendon in round one mm-hmm. to combat a similar game style that they were playing at the time to what Craig Craig's staff were playing. Mm-hmm. And um, I drew it on a whiteboard in the hotel at the Marriott Resort up on the Gold Coast. And we did it, and we won by six points.
2: Mm.
1: And what,
0: I I guess, what did it mean for Clarko to make that call? Yeah,
1: Because that sounds like it um, was a moment. Yeah, it's kind of, and I, you know, it was really special. I rang Erin straight after I got the call because I knew, obviously, that Erin had set the call up. Cheeky Erin. Cheeky Erin. And she knew I was nervous, Mm. grand final week. And we were all nervous because we were all going into this huge event In Adelaide and because the more games we won in Adelaide the more our profile in Adelaide was going up and I started to feel the pressure of you know football that I'd never experienced before I learned really quickly that there's always someone who wants your job or always someone who thinks they can do the job better than you and I felt particularly as a woman in my position that I was being looked at even more carefully Mm -hmm. my coaching was being looked at more carefully than what I was doing each week so to have someone um, and a guy as impressive as Clarko give me a call to say I've got a bit of experience. This is what I was thinking. Mm. Um, to give me a call just meant so much to me. Mm. Yeah, they took the time to do it.
0: Yeah. And take me through grand final day because I, I feel like obviously you know it's a significant moment in time, yeah. but I think as the years go on, surely that, I don't know, it might become
1: clearer or it yeah, sort yeah. of get a different lens on it. It started um, very early because Courtney Cramey needed a concussion test. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd been knocked out the week before against Collingwood and it wasn't the 12-day protocol that we have now. Yeah. Um, and so as that week had progressed, Courtney needed to do her, her scat test or whatever it was as, as it had rolled out and um, we were saving the last one for the morning of the grand final so we weren't quite sure yet if Courtney was going to make it into the side and that was going to be a significant difference in our defence if we couldn't get... Courtney um, into the team, and so I remember getting up really early. I went to the driving range with my assistant coach, Colleen Gwynn, mm-hmm. and we just smacked a few golf balls down the driving range. And it was funny; like it was really early, and we just thought, let's just unleash unleash a bucket or two here. And as we we're arriving at the driving range, we saw a group of our players walking up the hill past us get our coaches. And I am like, well, we're not the only ones up early this morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone else is up early getting nervous too. And um, I remember getting the text on my phone while we were at the driving range from court saying she'd passed the test. Um, and me writing back to her, right, let's go get what we deserve. Mm-hmm. And it was just we were into game mode as soon as we got back from the driving range. And the, the morning seemed to pass really quickly. Um, getting comfortable in the change rooms at Metricon where we'd never been before. Um, and even um, during the game to at Metricon Stadium there's no stairs to the coach's box, it's a lift, an elevator mm-hmm. and so there would be this unspoken race between Craig Stasovic and I to get to the lift first, so who was <laughs> going to get to the lift first to get down to the team, um, you know, as the game unfolded um, and it just all seemed to go really quickly except for the last 66 seconds of the mm-hmm. match. Um at which point all sense of um, common etiquette and behaviour in a coach's box went out the window. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember our our analyst counting down from about 66 seconds down, like, yeah, 66, 65. (laughs) And he he literally counted every second while everybody else is up in the box. And um, everyone. we had quite a few cramping on the bench because the quarters were a bit longer for the grand final. We had a lot of cramp and it was just like we just got to try and fight to the death here, try and get everyone yeah. back, back down, back down, back down. Yeah, Was that because they – did they change the rule for the grand yeah. final and had yep. time on? Had time on. We never had Unreal. it before. <laughs> <laughs> we never had it before. Why not? Yeah, that's it. Give it a go. Yeah, See what go happens. Girls. Heather Anderson uh, blew a shoulder, yeah. I think, in might have been the third quarter. Mm-hmm. So we were already down, yeah, and cr- um, court, had torn a calf. Um, And then we had some other cramping that was going on. So we were really down and I'm thinking, how are we going to hold on here? 66 seconds. Not much you can do at that point as a coach. And um, then that was it. The siren went. People are flying over the top of the – there's two tiers in the Metricon coaches box and Mm. we're all crying and hugging and – and then me just thinking, oh, I've got to, get, got to get down to the ground, I've got to get down to the girls as quick as I can. Yep. I, I don't reckon I've run that fast ever <laughs> since I was umpiring back in, the, back in 2007. <laughs> um, and, then, yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing day. Um, and it was all of our family and friends were there. Some people caught four planes to get to the Gold Coast. Yeah. From Adelaide or from Canberra, from Sydney, from Northern Territory. There was a cyclone warning I think up in the Northern Territory that had cancelled a heap of flights and the Jetstar flights had been cancelled so some of our, our players, families missed out on coming down. Yeah. Adelaide, Adelaide ended up chartering a flight yeah. um, for people to get their family and friends over to the Gold Coast and it was just a really special day and I think I, I look back on it at the time and I thought this is it, I've made it to the top of the mountain and now I've proven that I can coach at that level, mm. what, what's next, what lies ahead? And and now, yeah, I guess <laughs> what what did come next? Like, what? Not much. Not much. Not much yeah. yeah. Like we, I did a second season with Adelaide and went back to work. Yeah. Went back to my full time job with the AFP. Um, so. And we're still, you know, like we're five years into the competition now. It's 2021. There's one female head coach in the AFLW. There's no female assistants in the AFL men's space even. Yeah. And I think we've got a way to go. Yeah.
0: What do, you, what do you think needs to be done to get, to
1: get there? More overt and brave leadership within football clubs. Yeah. Um, because nothing will change until um, people want to change that system. There are no – there aren't – women aren't being given opportunities and that's a choice. Yeah. That is a choice. There are, there are women who are experienced – experience looks different their experience sounds different their experience smells different to um, the experience of a lifetime of um men's football rules yeah and we have to look at how we value that yeah yeah we have to look at what merit actually means
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah and i don't know do you see yourself playing a role in that space like at the moment like you mm. are coaching VFLW, um, you're the head coach at the Hawks. Mm. Um, like what, I don't know, yeah. how do you see yourself influencing that space? Well, I,
1: I, I feel like I've got a really, really important role. Um, I have all female assistants um, on staff at Hawthorne mm-hmm. and that is a deliberate choice because there are no women in our system. Um, there are no women coaching in the men's space. And what, Then what can I do in the platform that I have to, to get more experience to take them to make them available to be able to interview and compete for these jobs. Mm-hmm. I have to, I feel like it's that's my job to be able to give them that experience to be able to make them competitive. Because mm-hmm. at the moment if we interview, say, 10 people for a head coach AFLW role, maybe one woman will be on that 10, maybe mm-hmm. two. But that's still really low. So when they interview, they're going to sound, smell, speak differently about mm-hmm. football than what the large percentage of the men are that they're are applying. Yeah. Um, so, we've just got to get more into that field to be able to compete. Mm.
0: And a lot of people will say, Oh, the girl, the, the coaches, they're just playing now. So, yeah, you know,
1: no. I don't buy into that. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's that. This is what we we're talking about before, though. That's the men's system. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of the pathway is that you play your 200, 300 games. And if you've got a bit of a coaching mindset, then once you retire, then you'll just slip into that back into your. your the afl club and you know your coaching journey will take off mm-hmm. that doesn't we do things differently um i often look at groups of afl coaches walking off a ground at halftime and it's a close game and i see them all talking and i'm thinking if you had one bit of diversity on your coaching staff mm-hmm. a woman a, a diverse person um then one sentence could change the whole narrative of what's about to happen in the second half mm-hmm. a woman's not going to lose you a game of football yeah. But she might win you one. You know, we're looking at sports science. We're looking at camps, high altitude camps. There's, there's something that's actually really readily available and not that expensive and it's called diversity and women on coaching staff that, that might be able to give you the edge and take your organisation to their next success.
0: Mm.
1: In fact, if you look at the NFL, right, um, this year out of the eight teams that made playoffs, six of them had women full-time on staff the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who won it, they had two full-time women on coaching staff. Mm. That's not an accident.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, yeah. yeah, it almost I'm preaching makes to too much. It, it makes too, I'm much, sense. I'm it makes to too the much sense. It makes too much sense. I feel like all the all the research points towards it too. The mm. best, most profitable companies in the world are diverse. Yeah. So it's, we'll get there. We will. We're moving towards <laughs> there. Um, but talk to me about. Um, I guess life in
1: the commentary box oh what's that like <laughs> you know it's not really a space i'm that comfortable in really no i i always feel a bit awkward i remember my first season doing it um getting some feedback from um from the producers and, and they gave me a call the following week and said you know beck we've been thinking about it because you sit you sit down in the in the commentary box and you you sort of talk you, you you're giving your comments like you're a coach stand up and give you comments because you'll feel more empowered. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I guess like from that moment on, I, every time I commentate now, I, I stand up and I do feel a little bit more comfortable, but it's still a very uncomfortable space for me to operate in because I forget people are listening. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and also there are a lot of people out there that don't like the sound of me, mm. that don't think I know what I'm talking about when it comes to football, and that is completely because of my gender.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's fine. Uh, But it doesn't – I don't feel comfortable um, putting myself out in a space where I'm going to be openly criticised all the time. But because there are so few women that are doing it in the commentary space, again, I feel like it's a really important role that I have for a really short window of my life. Yeah, you feel like
0: you've got that responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, you've got pretty thick skin to be able to – 100%. Do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've heard a lot, especially in umpiring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd be horrified at some of the things that have been said to me. (laughs) Yes. Not PG for this podcast. Yes, <laughs>
0: a few more um, mm. beeps out. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I've got a question here because you do have a few funny one-liners. <laughs> what sort of prep goes into? into those do they just come as you're going or are they yeah, just I, stuck in the back of the mind
1: I, like I I love telling stories you know like as a coach I always tell a story before on game day to mm-hmm. our players and I like to have a, a female protagonist in in most of my stories as always a, a great woman at the center of my stories but when I'm sort of commentating I feel like it's a conversation a bit like that would be had in my house with my grandparents and my grandfather was the king of one-liners and he's got so many funny ones that have always stayed with me as a kid you know I remember him saying to me how was your day at school and I'd be be like oh well this this kid was mean to me and he said well give him the upholsterer's farewell and I'm like what's the upholsterer's farewell he says get stuffed (laughs) and he'd always have funny ones like those and they always just stayed with me and so that's just how that's how I talk. Mm. You know, it's um. So when I commentate, I try to be like, well, what would how would I be talking about this at home yeah. with anybody that's watching? And that's how I, that's how it
0: is. Yeah. What would Granddad think? Yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. That's awesome. And uh, oh, so I've got one written down here. Um, and this is this perhaps um I guess a mantra you live by. So if you throw a piece of chewing gum into a bin and mm. it misses. Whether you go and pick it up and put it in properly determines what kind of person you are. Yeah,
1: yeah it's. I um, I feel like it's describes my coaching philosophy. You know, there's mm-hmm. kind of the three people. You're on your bike, you're chewing gum, you ride past the bin, you keep riding and you throw it out and you don't even look if it's gone in, right? Mm-hmm. There's that person. And there's the next person who will get off the bike, throw it, miss, go, oh, I missed, and then get back on the bike and throw it. And then there's a third person that gets off the bike, finds a eucalyptus leaf, puts it in the leaf, walks up to the bin and puts it in. Mm-hmm. Which person you want to be? Yeah. Which teammate are you going to be today? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Who cares here? And that's that's kind of my philosophy, my coaching philosophy. Yeah, I like that.
0: The, mm. the little things are the big things. Yeah. It's nice. We're going to move into looking at this weekend – um, and I guess uh, AFLW more broadly, I guess from 2017 to now and before even 2017. Mm. Um, so I might start with that. Like what are the biggest sort of changes you've witnessed and experienced in terms of, I guess, the cultural change around women's footy or
1: the things that you experience every day that you think signify a change? Oh, I think... If we look more technically, like the athlete's body to start with, that's mm-hmm. been a significant change over the last five years and that's where the call for me comes um, and where I'm sure you've put your own body through, Dars, some, some things. It's not six months of the year. It's an entire 24-7, 12-months-of-the-year concept mm-hmm. um, and you deserve to be rewarded and remunerated for that work that you're doing and... Um, the public cannot reasonably expect AFLW to get better if you just packed up at the end of AFLW and didn't go to the gym or um, didn't eat the way or drink the way you currently are, um, you know, and be really mindful of those things for a 12-month period all around, Mm -hmm. really. So, you know, the players are doing a lot of unpaid work is, is the first thing because they want to put on a great product that people can see that we get more fans to that get you to the next level. That's probably the the biggest thing. And therefore, because you're fitter and faster and all of those types of things, coaches have been able to change systems, Mm -hmm. actually introduce systems, um, and be a bit more creative technically with that football IQ that the players have now got to be able to pull off some things that they may not have been able to in the first season. Mm -hmm. And I really don't want to disrespect the first season. Um, But um, we didn't know what we didn't know then. And so now, you know, we're at, you know, year five... And we, we want to go into year six, and we want to have a we want to have all teams in the competition. Um, so that, that next piece is well, how are we going to ha- start having those talks on equality? And we can only have those talks on equality when we've got the last four teams in, mm-hmm. and then we're able to talk to our male counterparts about their salaries and our salaries and sponsored dollars and gate takings and all of those types of things. But we we're nowhere near being able to have those discussions until we get the last four teams in. Mm-hmm you know so when i look at the the evolution of it you know it starts with what's happening with the athletes but now the athletes need to know well until we get you know the bigger piece mm. of all clubs and the rest of it and then equality comes after that
0: mm. yeah i feel like there is a lot of we do have a lot of power in our hands but we also mm. probably aren't equipped with the knowledge we need yet to actually yeah. make informed choices mm. Mm. do you feel like um i'm interested to know because in the first season, Erin Phillips comes into your team and she's like, she's been an athlete
1: she's she a as a rookie. Oh,
0: on, she's a rookie. Yeah, sorry. She came in as a rookie. She's a rookie pick. Who is this? She, she wasn't rookie.
1: a marquee. She was a rookie. <laughs> I know. What? I, I knew she wasn't. <laughs> I knew. I had to laugh. I knew she wasn't going to be a rookie. Yeah. I knew. <laughs> but
0: what? <laughs> it's just unfair. But it's awesome. But. She comes in and she shows us all what it is to be a full-time athlete. So what I guess what impact has she had on you and and what do you think her impact has been on the entire league?
1: I think she's had a huge impact. You look inside Adelaide alone, like the the team heading into this weekend and that impact that she has and the way she speaks at team meetings and Mm. even if um, her football IQ when she first came back from the States because she'd been out of footy for so long, yep. and that was the bit that she wanted to catch up on. Um, it didn't matter because of the way that she she's an Olympian, she, mm-hmm. the way she prepares her body, the way she approaches her meetings, the way she does her review, the way she gives and receives feedback. They're all uh, things that that other clubs can look at and honestly be jealous of. She, she set that benchmark. And you didn't get to see the inside, the inner sanctum at Adelaide, but... Mm. I was l- so lucky to see that inside. I I I coach teams where players at halftime will go and have a ciggy, yeah, you know, and a quick sip of the can and back out they go from community football. Yeah. And the next minute here I'm coaching Aaron Phillips. So uh, she, like I mentioned, that first call I had with her in the states, and she was she just sh- taught me how to win, mm. to have that instinct, that killing instinct to win,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's amazing that that's what she said straight yes. away. Uh, yeah, I think that says yeah. a lot about her as a person yeah. and what she knows can be achieved. Yeah. Yeah. Um and moving into, I guess, this weekend, um, I forgot to say this is the grand final edition of Cutting Oranges, <laughs> um, and by that I mean it is grand final week. I don't think it is the final Cutting Oranges episode unless it's getting canned, which I'm this might be the last one. Not mile. sure about, <laughs> but no, it's grand final week, and we're excited. What do you, What are your thoughts on the game?
1: Well, it's going to be close. Mm. Um, I want Adelaide to win, of course, because my, my heart is, uh, is there with them um, and I think they will win the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think as the season has gone on, they've played some unbelievable football, uh, really fast, really aggressive, uh, that's very hard to defend. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, you know, Brisbane have got their, their secret weapons. Well, they're not secret. They've been there the whole time too. Yeah. Katie Lutkins, Emma Zilke, um, Emily Bates. Like they're, the, they're three mm. absolute weapons that have just ridden it out and know how to play Adelaide really well, provided they can get all their young players on the same page. Ali yeah. Anderson's been there from the start. Yeah. Um, you know, they've they've got a really great list too. I think it'll be an amazing contest um, and Brisbane have the opportunity in front of them without Chelsea Randall mm-hmm. to combat as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think Adelaide will get over the line, not just because I'm – Adelaide, but yeah, yeah, I think that's what will happen.
0: No, that's fair. And can we talk about Chelsea for mm. a moment? What do you think the team would be feeling right
1: now? I think they feel pretty sick in the guts for her. Mm. Um, but what I know of Chelsea is the way that she empowers her teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's that standard that Chelsea and Erin have set right from the start is that the players um, really enable the side and it's mm-hmm. not just the two the two at the top that win grand finals they're really important parts but they've always led by um showing you know others on how to be leaders themselves on the field and they value that at the crows so uh i think it will be uh, one of those games that if um chelsea's done the job of the way i think she's done a job that those players will stand up and play a really great game without her yeah, absolutely. I see mm. yeah,
0: I just think Chelsea's a champion of the game and just I'm sure she'll have a oh, actually I don't know if she would be on the bench. I guess maybe yeah, I with think a she's can- I
1: think she's gonna be on the bench. Um yeah. I think that's the plan for her. Um had a quick chat to Matt Clark yesterday and I think they were gonna try and involve her in, in some way in that capacity. Yeah, I think mm. just having someone like
0: Chelsea around like all the girls will walk a bit taller, so Mm. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing game. Um, lastly, I was just going to see see what um, what you've got next mm. on your radar. Any What's next for Beck?
1: Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying my season at Hawthorne. I had a bit of time in the coaching box with Sam Mitchell at Box, box Hill last weekend and uh, I look forward to some other opportunities to join him as the season goes on to sort of keep my coaching um, up, going to the next level as well, mm-hmm. seeing how other coaches are doing it. Uh, and... Trying to get a few wins on the board for my Hawks girls. That'd be great. Um, we're on a bit of a unfortunate losing, full-game losing streak at the minute but we're striving to be better and we've got some great AFLW players come down in the last week to, to start helping us out and look mm. forward to trying to just find a way to win.
0: Yeah, awesome.
1: Well, mm. thank you so much for joining me.
0: Um, there were so many things I didn't ask you about but I think we covered a lot in there. Um, all the best, With the Hawks and uh, we'll catch up um, for a bloody schooner soon. Can't
1: wait. Schooner, (laughs) that's what we call them in Canberra. And thanks for everything you are doing to us. It's an important job. Keep demanding the footy. Thank you.